Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. Many people ask me about the end times, and, and especially lately, it just seems like, Pastor, what's, you know, what's this about the end times? What does the Bible mean about that, about the end times? And it seems like, doesn't it seem like, especially in the last couple of years, doesn't it th- seem like things have just really gone fast? Doesn't it seem like things have really changed fast? You know, like, it used to kind of be the same for like a long time, and now it's like every week there's, you know, a new change or a new law or something else that gets settled in, and, and yeah. If you're not flexible, you get really worked up. You get a lot of anxiety and, and, and nervousness about things changing all the time. But they're just changing just all the time. And, and uh, it just, it's like so much weird stuff, even on television or on radio. Uh, a lot of weird books being published right now about the end times and, and what it's going to be like. Um, a lot of it, I'll be honest with you, I just don't agree with. Why well, I don't agree with it? Because I don't see it in the Bible. That's why I don't agree with a lot of it. But um, we're just going to use, here's our textbook for the next couple weeks is, this book. This is, our, this is our textbook for the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's good to read other books. It's good to read commentaries on it. good to read studies on it. But bottom line is it comes right to it. Uh, uh, we're just going to look at the Bible and see what it has to say. And it's interesting because the disciples, you know, when they're with Jesus, now think about it. This is 2,000 years ago. The disciples are there with Jesus, and they're asking the same question that a lot of us are asking today, 2,000 years later. What's it going to be like? When's the end of the world? You know, what's the end of time? And, and they thought, the disciples and, and the followers of Jesus thought that the end of time was going to be in their lifetime. Now think, they would have never guessed, they would have never guessed in a million years that 2,000 years later, we're still looking for the coming of Christ. Not that, he, not, that, that, not that he's lied, not that anything, you know, hasn't been true. It's just Christ hasn't come back yet. And he, he, he gives them some pictures of what it's going to look like. But they, they thought, like, okay, you know, pretty soon, right, a couple years, you know. They just never guessed that what we're going through today would have been taking place. So if you got your Bible, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to this series because you're going to need it. We're going to do a lot of Bible study. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 is where we're picking up at, and we're going to start our series at to kind of lay the groundwork, really, for the road to Armageddon. We'll talk about that just a little bit, but I want you to kind of get your feet wet here a little bit and understand what's going on. And like I said, today we'll just kind of lay a foundation for it. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the the buildings of the temple. Now, um, I just want to stop real quick and let's just lay some groundwork so you get it in your your brain what's happening. Jesus is on what is known today as the Mount of Olives, okay? Now, if you have Jerusalem, let's just say this is Jerusalem, all right, on my, my west here on this side, the, the valley goes down. It's the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley, it goes up. This is the Mount of Olives here. Garden of Gethsemane would be over here. The crucifixion would have been over here on the north side, okay? But up here, the Mount of Olives. Now, if, if you are standing on the Mount of Olives, all right, you would be looking down across at Jerusalem. When Jesus is giving this talk, he's just giving this, this whole talk here in Matthew, he's standing on the top of the Mount of Olives. Now, I have a photo that I want to show you here from the Mount of Olives. 
This is from the top of the Mount of Olives. Okay, this, you have Jerusalem Valley Mount. Uh, looking out, you see, do you see the walls around Jerusalem? Do you see the dome, the golden dome that's known as the Dome of the Rock? That, that is, a, uh, is uh, uh, like the location of the Temple Mount. That's where the Temple was. The Dome of the Rock is, is just known. That's where the Muslims uh, believe is a holy place. Um, but to the right of the Dome of the Rock is where the temple will be rebuilt. But anyways, you're standing here. You see the group of tourists there. Looking down, those are actually graves that you're looking down. You see it goes down to Kidron Valley. Garden of Gethsemane would be down to your right, okay? Temple Mount right there in front of the, the Dome of the Rock. It's kind of hard to see. There's a gate there. There's kind of the wall kind of goes up. That's the eastern gate, right? Okay, so you're getting the idea? So, of course, those walls, those same walls weren't the walls that were there at the time of Christ, okay? Those are different set of walls, but the, basically the same area. So you imagine Jesus standing in this area. Of course, you know, it wouldn't have looked exactly like that, but the, the basic same idea, and this is where he's talking and he's looking out over Jerusalem, okay? So with that in mind, let's look at verse 2. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things. So you get it? He's like, don't you guys see all these things here? He's looking around, you know, showing. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another. There shall not be thrown down. He's talking about the temple here. But then also, look at verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, so that's where he's at. He's right there in that, like where that photo would have been. Sat, sitting upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, psst, Jesus, hey, tell us, when shall these things be? I mean, you're talking about this. When is this going to be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, it's kind of interesting the word that he uses there for world. Again, we're having a Bible study, so I want you to take some notes on this because I want you to get it. When he says the word world there, the word world is actually kind of an all-encompassing word for the word time. So when shall be the end of time? Now, I think about that. If there's an end of time, that would pretty much be the end of the world, too. So, so I'm okay with the way they translated that. I'm okay with the way it works. But he's saying, when, when is the end of time? When is the end of this all-encompassing idea of the world be, or as we know it be? And, and let me stop and say this, too, because I want you to paint a really good picture here. It's very easy to be confused, and I'm going to confess right now, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, in the next few weeks, I'm going to use these words wrong because I'm going to I'll just, I'll mistakenly interchange some words here. There is the word that we use as the rapture. That's referring to when the church is brought up to heaven. Then there's also the term known as the second coming, okay? The second coming, I'm trying to keep this real basic here. We'll, we'll dig in more in the next few weeks, but the second coming is when Jesus comes to earth. The rapture, Jesus doesn't come to earth, he, he brings the saints up to him. Look at this image here. I just want you to see. I kind of made like a diagram so you get it. So the rapture, Jesus doesn't touch down. And again, we'll talk more about this. So just hang in with me. But I want you to understand a term. That's when Jesus brings all the saints up to him. Okay, so believers, the church is brought up to him. But the second coming is later, and that's when Jesus literally touches down in Jerusalem. Now, I have to explain that. I want you to understand that right now because... Because when we're studying the Bible, when we're studying the Bible, 
when we're in the time of the church age, when we're the time that the church was developed, and they talk about the end of time or they talk about Jesus coming back again, uh, it's usually they're talking about the rapture, okay? But here we are. We're in the book of Matthew. The church hasn't started yet. It hasn't. The church doesn't start until Paul. The church doesn't start until Jesus is gone. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, Jesus was part of a church. He wasn't part of a church. The church hadn't started yet. So in the Old Testament, or this side of the Bible, so to speak, usually when they're talking about like the end times or the end of the tribulation they're talking about, or they call it the time of Jacob's trouble, they're talking about the second coming of Christ, okay? So I'm saying that because sometimes nowadays we just get sloppy, I guess that's the best way to say it, and we kind of interchange the word second coming with the rapture, not, not on purpose, it's just sometimes we say that. So I'm kind of, I'm apologizing because I'm sure I'm going to say those things wrong, but we have the rapture of the church, okay, and then we have the second coming. We're going to get into that later, I don't want to make this confusing, but I want to just lay down this, this framework because when Jesus is talking right here, he's not talking about the rapture of the church, time out, remember, they didn't know what the church was at this time. There was no church. It wasn't. There, there was church hadn't started yet. They're talking about when Jesus is going to come back and touch down, literally stand in Jerusalem, okay? So get that clear. He's not talking about the rapture of the church here. He's talking about when Jesus comes back, all right? We'll, we'll paint that story a lot more in detail in the weeks to come, but I just want you to get this because I want you to see what he was talking about with the disciples and, and kind of understand. They didn't understand about the church. They didn't know about that. Matter of fact, they didn't know about the rapture of the church because they didn't even know where the church was. It just it hadn't taken place yet. All right, so you kind of get that. So here's Jesus' answer. Go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. The disciples are asking, so when's the end of time? You know, when is the world going to end? They're talking about about the, uh, the second coming when Jesus comes back to Jerusalem. And you shall hear, so here's what Jesus says. Here's, here's the answer. You shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Can everybody take your pen, please? Take your pen and your Bible, and I want you to underline those words. He's, he's talking to the believers here. He's talking to the disciples. You better make sure that you're not troubled, which tells us what, church? The tendency is for us to be what? troubled. But Jesus said, don't be troubled about it. Don't, I don't want you to get all worked up about it, okay? Um, it's like he wrote this for the year 2020. You know, don't be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, there shall be pestilence. The word pestilence there is also uh, another word for um, uh, plagues, uh, not just pestilence like bugs, but plagues. Hmm. COVID-19 maybe, I don't know, but, okay, but plagues, disease, illness, all right, that's what it's talking about, and earthquakes in diverse places, verse 8, Matthew 24, verse 8, and these are the beginning of sorrows, okay, so he says, listen, here's some signs, here's some things that you're going to see that are going to point to the time when I come back and, and come back and rule and reign. And so he's not saying these are signs for when the rapture of the church is going to be. He's really saying this is the time, this is a sign for the end of time, like click, all right, as we know it, all right, the world as we know it. So, but he says don't be, don't be troubled because the world is going to be troubled. There's going to be a lot of things happening. I don't want you to get all upside down about this. And, and isn't that interesting, though? Let's just talk. 
the disciples were troubled 2,000 years ago. <laughs> they, ha- they didn't have to deal with any of the stuff that we have to deal with. I mean, just the craziness. Isn't it seem, uh, here's what I thought was interesting as I studied this. Now more than ever, I want you to get this, now more than ever, doesn't it seem like we are in a state of our, of not just our nation, but of our world, that we don't know who to trust more than ever? I mean, would you agree with me on that statement? Society as a whole just does not know who to trust because it's so polarizing no matter what the subject is. I mean, you could go to Facebook, you go to the news, and, you know, Fox News says this at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon they say something totally different. CNN says this at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then at 4 o'clock in the afternoon they say this. You know, and you just don't know who to trust. Now, I don't know about, maybe I'm giving my age on this, but, but um, when I was a kid, you know, my parents would turn on the television, and there was Walter Cronkite. How many remember Walter Cronkite? You know, and whatever Walter Cronkite said was, he might as well have just been Moses, you know, I mean, just carving it in stone. I mean, it was just like, well, he said it. And you would turn on the evening news or you'd read the paper and there was an extreme level of trust that, well, you know, they said this and this is, this is what's right. And, and you kind of just grew up that. But now it just seems like there, there, there is a depth of distrust that has never been this way before. I mean, I think because of television, I think because of the internet, because of books and publishing and, and just Facebook, you know, social media. Nowadays, you could post something, you could type something on social media, you know, and your, your, your typing is just as valid as, as if Walter Cronkite typed it because you're out there and anyone in the whole wide world, the whole world can read what you posted if they want to, right? And so, you know, before, if you want to get published in the newspaper, you want to get a writing a book, it was a lot of work. It was a big deal. I mean, you just didn't go on the news and say, well, I want to say something. You know, but nowadays, everyone feels emboldened and empowered to, to give their two, two cents about something. And, and, and I think about COVID. I mean, we just, you know, we're going through COVID. I'm, I'm thankful that COVID is winding down. We want to be done with this. But think about how polarizing just, just COVID has been. Uh, how polarizing to wear a mask or not to wear a mask or to get the vaccine or not to get the vaccine. You know, just everything and, and what's true about COVID, what's not true. Is it a scam? Is it a plot? Is it real? Did the Chinese do it? You know, there's so many different angles on the whole thing. Uh, and, and what is the truth about it? But our nation is just, it's, it's like we're at a time that has never been before where it's so polarized about everything like this. I had a pastor this week. We, I had a, we had a pastor's prayer meeting uh, about, um, about eight of us pastors got together and we spent, literally, we spent about six, seven hours praying. We prayed for all of our churches and, and we, that's what we did. It wasn't preaching, it was praying. And one of the pastors that, that I had never met before, and I don't even, I don't really don't know who the guy is. Uh, I eventually met him, but um, uh, a big church, I'll just say that, a big church, says his church, and this is sad, his church, his church right now, is literally on the verge of a church split. And I'm like, I am so, so sorry. I don't want any church to split. And what's the issue? You know, doctrine, you know, immorality, some scandal. You know, what, what is it? What's the big? He's like, no, we're ready to split over to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. It's like, seriously, I thought that was last fall we had that. You know, that, yeah. are you serious? And, and the pastor literally is crying. A good size, good church if I told you the name of it, you'd probably know it. But he's like, no, we're, we're like ready to split wide open over a mask. And I was like, yay, yay, yay. Christians, wake up. Like, this is not our problem. It's not our job. We shouldn't be having church splits over COVID. We shouldn't be having church splits over to wear a mask or not. How immature. That, I mean, that's what I say. How immature. Whichever way you are on it, how immature. It doesn't say in here, church. Go into all the world and preach your viewpoint on a mask. 
It, it doesn't say that. Go into all the world and preach your viewpoint on the vaccine. A lot of people ask me, Pastor, what do you think about the vaccine? And, and is it safe? And are there fetal parts, part of it, so forth and so on? There's just a lot of conversation about that. I'm going to talk about that tonight, and I have done great research on it, and I'm going to talk to you tonight as a pastor talking to the, the church about um, the vaccine, okay? And I was going to give you my two cents on it, but we're going to talk about that tonight uh, at 6 o'clock, and I'm just going to tell you everything I think about it, and uh, I'm going to stop right there, otherwise it's going to be a whole other message. <laughs> but but, um, but uh, I think it's very interesting. But we're so divided. Think about this too. How about this subject? Socialism, or, or dare I even say the word communism, the fact that we're having a discussion, the fact that a socialist person was running on the ballot and almost made it. <laughs> he may have not been voted in, but his views were voted in. I'll tell you that much. Okay, now just wherever you're at in the subject, just think for a moment. Never in the history of America would we be having such a divided conversation about socialism. If you brought up communism or socialism, when I was a kid, I mean, you'd have been what? It'd been like, you'd labeled communist, you're not a patriot, get out of here, you know, whatever. We're, you know, red, white, and blue loving Americans and apple pie and Chevys and, and well, not Chevys, but, you know, Fords or whatever. <laughs> you know, but don't buy a Toyota. You know what I mean? That's how we grew up, you know. But, but it's just, but nowadays, boy, the fact that we're having these conversations and, and the fact that it's so polarizing is kind of what I'm looking here and what I'm seeing is like, boy, if this isn't like a sign of the time, and, and I think part of the problem is there, there's just not enough people in America right now that even really know American history, and, and there used to be a time when people wouldn't fall for stuff, but nowadays we fall for stuff. But the point I'm trying to get at is we are in a divided nation. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's Christians against Christians and, and Republicans against Republicans and Democrats against Democrats and, and, and patriots against patriots. But we're just at a time we just don't know who to trust and who to believe. And the news, boy, I tell you the news, here's what the news has done. The news has done a wonderful job of making the good guys look bad and the bad guys look good. And, and, and it's caused extreme confusion no matter what side of any argument you're on. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. That you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, you know, this person said, and what, and, you know, it gets so, it's so backwards, and you just don't even, you don't even know. I read a report, I don't have the exact number, they're talking about the Holocaust, you know, the, the, the nation of Israel um, celebrated, I don't know if that celebrated is not the right word, had a moment of silence again for the remembrance of the Holocaust. A huge portion of the millennial generation does not believe the Holocaust even happened. That wasn't even 100 years ago, and, and, yet, and yet we're like to the point where we would deny it, and it's like, I, I just, I can't believe we're having this discussion. That's kind of what my thought is, like, really, we're discussing this? You know, and, and so, but we're being conditioned. We're being conditioned just to have our freedoms taken away. And again, this is not a discussion on masks or not, but let me just say, would you have imagined 10 years ago if someone said, the government's going to make us wear masks and we're all going to do it? Would, would you have imagined that would, oh, yeah, oh, we're going to do it? No, I mean, you'd have been like, are you crazy? You know, I'm a red, white, blue, you know, Ford-loving American. You know, there's a, you know you just, but, but that's just, we just don't know who to trust anymore. We don't know. And, and the issue, the issue is really coming down to trust. Let me, let me say that. This is the only book I'm trusting right now. I'm just letting you know that, okay? And as a Christian, this is the only book we should be trusting. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. I, I get a lot of input from books. That's fine. But let's, we're going to stick to this book, and we're not going to get stuck on, on someone else's views or, you know, some guy on, on the radio or whatever like that. And I'm sure there's a lot of good input. But let's just stick to the Bible. Uh, it's interesting because we talk about the end times. Did you know this? It's about 
28% of the Bible is prophecy. So that's, that's a little over more than one-fourth of the book is prophecy. So if one-fourth of the book is prophecy, let me ask you a question, church. Do you think it's important that we talk about prophecy? It's 25, over 25% of what he wrote, so I, it must be an important thing. But an awful lot of churches don't want to talk about prophecy, just like an awful lot of schools don't want to talk about history. I, I think that we're in, a, in a, a nation right now of famine in our churches because there's an ignorance uh, in churches about prophecy. Uh, there's a level of fear because people don't know what really the Bible says. And the issue of trust, again, comes up because it's our human nature to not want to trust, Right? And so then, because we haven't studied it, because we don't know what's going on, because there's so many other things out there, did the Bible really say this? Isn't that interesting? Did the Bible really say this? If I were to turn to the beginning of the Bible, the first time that we meet Satan, the first time that we meet Satan, he tells Eve what? Did God really say that? Eve, come on now, really? So isn't that kind of interesting? The very first thing that Satan said was, I don't know if you can really trust God for what he said. So that issue, I think, is hot and heavy right now amongst Christians and, and Bible-studying churches that, you know, what does the Bible really say? What doesn't it say? So when we're going to talk about prophecy, and we're going to talk about the end times. The word prophecy literally just means to foretell. Uh, it also kind of means to forth-tell. So to foretell, to, to predict the future, but also to say it. I mean, to talk about it, to foretell it. And, and it's interesting because when we talk about prophecy, too, I want us to get this. The living God, the one true God, God the Father of Jesus Christ, the, the author of the Bible, is the only God, well, the only God, period, I'll say that, capital G, but the only God out there, the only religious, if I could, I mean, I hate to say that word, but that actually has prophecy that has come true. An awful lot of other religions have had prophetic sayings, but none of them come true. What distinguishes our Heavenly Father, the Father uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, the, the author of this book, is that he's distinguished from any other God because he foretold the future and it's come true. That, that, is, that is a major distinction. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. This is in the Old Testament. Isaiah, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. So make it clear, I'm the only God. I am God. There is none like me, verse 10. And what do I do? Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand I will do my pleasure. I, I'm the only one true God. I will declare what's going to happen in the end and in the beginning. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It will stand. It will never be proven false, which the Bible has never been proven false. Look at verse 5. I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it to thee. I showed you things before they even happened. Lest thou should say, well, mine idol hath done them. And my graven image, you know, my little statue on my mantle, and my molten image, they has commanded them. No, he's saying, don't even think about saying that your God or some other God did this because I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that predicted things. I'm the one that says how things are going to end and, and how things are going to start. And, and, and there is no other God. So when we look at the Bible, we're just going to remember, church, for this whole study that there is, listen, there is no other Bible. Okay? Can I get an amen from the church? Okay. There's a lot of authors that have got good stuff. And I praise the Lord that a lot of authors have written good stuff. There's a lot of radio hosts that say good things, and I'm thankful for them. Lot, you know, it's all good. There's a lot of good stuff out there. 
But if it's us versus them, we're always going to stick to this, okay? Why? Because I have my opinion, and you have your opinion, but God's word is true. Amen, church? And so this, we have to remember that, that this isn't like, well, so-and-so, Dr. So-and-so on the radio said this. No. What does this book say? And that's all we're going to stick to, okay? And it may not be that popular. It may not be that exciting. It may not, well, it wasn't as sensational as I thought it was going to be. doesn't matter. It's just what it, it, just what it, what it says. And, and I'll say this, too, about prophecy. The Bible is meant to be clear. Have you ever thought about that? Now, sometimes, sometimes we, now listen, listen. We, in our ignorance, yes, our ignorance, do not understand the Bible. Why? Because we, in our ignorance, don't take time to study the book. We, we come and we look for a little, you know, a little biscuit on Sunday morning, and huh, that's all I know. <laughs> I, I am amazed, and, and I, I don't say this about our church, I say this about Christianity in general. I'm amazed at the ignorance of Christians about doctrine today. It just... It's just, it's amazing the amount of people that just have never taken time to study what exactly the Bible says. Think about this for a moment. The very last book of the Bible, you don't have to turn there, but I'll turn there. The very last book of the Bible is called The Revelation. Do you know what The Revelation means? It means the revealing, which does not mean what? It does not mean the hiding or the concealing. The Bible is not meant to hide things or conceal things or to make it difficult it's meant for the average third grade reader to be able to read this book and study it and understand it. God didn't make this for only seminary graduates to get it or people that understood Greek to get it or people that have gone to church for 40 years to get it. God's, God made this book so that a child can pick it up and study it. But listen, church, get this. Please get this. This book is not supposed to read like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the, the Milwaukee Sentinel. It's not. It's not. It is the Word of God, and it means requires study, and it requires intentionality, and it's going to require some time. But the Bible is meant to be understood. The book of Revelation, again, is the revealing. It's not the concealing or not the hiding. So we don't need to turn it upside down, hold it in a mirror, and read between the lines and, and put some lemon juice on it to try to see different words come out, right? There's enough in this book when you read it forwards that will take a lifetime of study to still not get it, you know, to understand all of it. I don't need any secret code because there's enough here to understand, all right? So let's just kind of remember that. So, Pastor Dan, what are some prophecies that have been fulfilled? As we're talking about our road or a pathway to the end of time, what are some prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible? Ready? Really quick. This is not exhaustive. Really quick. Well, the Jews have gotten back to the land. Right, 1948, May 14th, coming up here. Think about that. The Bible talks about in the last days the Jews will possess the land. They came back from absolute obscurity to repossess the land, and the Jews own Israel now. Now think, think, think. No other nation in the history of time has ever done that. You don't hear about, well, the Italians, you know, left Italy, and they were dispersed among all the other countries, and then they came back and took Italy. You know, or, or the Polish people did it, or the Germans. No one, no one. It never has happened. Only to the Jewish people. How about this? The coalition of Islamic nations. Islamic nations coming together. The Bible talks about them joining Russia in the end times. Why? For the attack of the nation of Israel. How about the push for a one world currency? The push for a one world currency. 
Uh, I, I, I really started to see it really in the last year, in the last many years, but I think with COVID, we talk about bitcoins, we talk about other online transactions. The fact that you can, you can send someone from your phone money on the other side of the world in a totally different currency, and it takes about this long. Done. Right? Interesting. How about the explosion of knowledge? The Bible talks about that. We've seen this starting to happen. Internet, you know, being able to Google things. Uh, I don't even know, I'm sorry, but I don't know what's going to happen with libraries in the future. But, you know, when I was a kid and you had to do a book report, how many of you were a kid and you remember you had to do a book report or you had to do a report for school? You went into your family little library, right? And your parents spent a lot of hard-earned money from some salesman who knocked on the door and he sold you a set of what? Encyclopedias. Did anyone here still have a set of encyclopedias? They're probably worth a ton of money, right? You know, I don't know. But we had a set of encyclopedias. So we'd do a, you know, I'd be in school and the teacher would say, okay, you got to do a book report on, you know, whatever, on Germany or whatever. You know, okay. So you went to the encyclopedia and you're like, well, Germany, should that be under G for Germany or should that be under foreign nation? You know, you had to find it and you would read it and you're like, wow, all this knowledge. You know, nowadays you'd laugh. You'd be like, Google, you know, tell me about Germany. And then you would you would just copy everything and that would be your report, right? Now you don't even have to study it. It's called plagiarism. Uh, it's so easy to do. <laughs> Number five, uh, how about this? The global degradation, or the, really like the depravity of man. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, just the fact that we have become so warped and so depraved. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, can I give you an example? Not to be gross, but can we just talk for a moment? The fact that, that, that the whole world, in America even now, in the last many years and even more so now, has embraced abortions. It, it, it's just the depravity of it. And, and to think that even recently, I mean, cities and, and states have got to the point where they're saying, the baby, uh, do you ever think about this? The baby, we will breach the baby so that it's what? Its feet come out first, right? Bring the feet out and then we'll snip its spinal cord while the head is still in because if the head comes out, you know, and then we'll, we'll actually smile and laugh and get photos of us signing these documents that say this is okay to do in our nation. It's disgusting. And, and listen, I'm sensitive. If you've, if you've, if you've gone that route, I just know this. God forgives and God makes up and, and, and God's a good, blessed, merciful God. But the fact that I'm talking about what I'm talking about right now is the fact that our nation has gotten so depraved that that doesn't upset us to the tune of, what, 70 million babies in America aborted. And it, where's the outcry? I mean, literally, where's the outcry? It, it just, it's normal. We're, we expect it, kind of. How about this one? China to be a global superpower. We would have never guessed that 100 years ago. Preparation for the building of the temple on the Temple Mount. That's been taking place for many years. How about increased global hostility towards Israel? Do you ever notice why all the nations aren't against some little small country out in the Middle East? I mean, why, why aren't they, why aren't all the nations of the world after like Sudan or after, you know, Ethiopia? Or, they're after Israel. Why Israel? I mean, Israel is no bigger than the state of Wisconsin. If you think about that, that's how small Israel is. And the whole world wants that chunk of land that's no bigger than the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> why? Because God predicted that it would take place. That, that's, that's why. It doesn't make sense outside of this book right here. How about this? Just increased global hostility. Well, as I mentioned, yeah, um, uh, towards Israel. And so, so we, we see that, and, and the whole world is just anxious to wipe Israel out and take possessions of it. So, so we see that. So then, Pastor Dan, so what are some of the things that are going to happen in the end times? Well, okay. Here's what's going to happen towards the end times. I am going to just fly through this for the sake of time. And again, what I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you some bullet points. We're going to talk about these things in detail in the next few weeks. So take some notes. 
take some questions. And then we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, but I just want to kind of whet your appetite. Here's some things that are going to happen in the end times, what Jesus was talking about. This is what's going to take place. He's saying, these are things that's going to take place before I touch back down to earth. Okay, so get ready. Well, the first thing that I wrote down was, of course, the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church has to take place before Christ comes again. Side note, nothing has to take place before the rapture of the church takes place. The rapture of the church can take place right now. All the disciples, all the apostles thought the rapture of the church was taking place in their time. The rapture of the church can take right, we're not waiting for anything for Jesus to take the church home. It can happen just like that. But that has to happen. The church has to be gone before Jesus comes back again. All right? You following me with that so far? Okay. Uh, you can read that in John chapter 14. Uh, he talks about that. And uh, I think that'll be a good thing. So um, how about number two? The world will be in chaos after this rapture. So the church, all the believers of the world are gone. So what's the next thing really on the clock that it would have to happen is, is chaos has to happen. Think, now why would there be chaos? Well, at minimum, let's say there's 7 billion people in the world. Okay, let's just be, let's just be real conservative. Let's just say, I don't know. Let's say 100 million are Christians. Okay, just a few million. Let's say a million people are gone. It'll be more than that. But let's just say for the sake of easy math. Okay, all these people are gone. I mean, the entire economy is disrupted, right? The owners of Chick-fil-A are gone. I mean, you know, <laughs> Hobby Lobby's closed. I mean, you know, where are you going to buy your craft supplies? But, but all these things happen, and there's going to be total chaos because literally millions of people are going to be gone like that. And, and if you're not a believer, don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross paid for your sins, you'll be sitting there, and you'll turn around, and the person will just be gone, and what will be left is the clothes on their back. And you'll say, where do they go? So absolute chaos will explode. I don't know how they're going to blame or what they're going to cause for the blame. I, I, I would imagine it'll be global something, warming or something. But, and then the third thing is after that happens, and someone will come on the scene, and that person's going to have answers to the chaos. So they're going to blame it on something, and they're going to have the answers. And, and that person we know is going to be called the Antichrist. But then number four, that person will make a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and the neighbors, which tells us what? There won't be peace between Israel and its neighbors, but this guy's going to get up and say, hey, I'm going to negotiate peace for everybody. The world's going to embrace this person. The world's going to accept the, the peace, and the world's going to say, that's a good thing. Real quick, i got to watch the clock. Pastor Dan, is the Antichrist alive today? Ready for my answer? He is. Pastor Dan, what's his name? I ain't telling you. Why aren't you telling me? Because I ain't got a clue. <laughs> That's why. But I'm going to prove to you in the next couple of weeks how I know the Antichrist is alive today. All right? And I'm going to prove it from this book. Okay? So remind me to prove to you that the Antichrist is alive, but I don't know his name, and I will never guess his name, and I don't even have a clue who I think it is. All right? How about this? Number five. After that, of course, or during that time, I think one of the things we're going to see is America will implode probably a very short time after the rapture. Why? Because America is based on Judeo-Christian values. Uh, I don't know if I say a majority of Christians are in America, in the world. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But a huge chunk of our population are believers, okay? Doesn't mean they're living that way. Doesn't mean they look that way. I'm just saying that, you know, America is founded on Christian principles. We're Christian-ish, kind of, not so much anymore. But I think more, percentage-wise, more Americans will be part of the rapture than, than, you know, let's say some other country, okay? Maybe, I, maybe I'm just guessing on that, but uh, people ask, what about America in, in the end times? I don't see it in the end times. Um, 
And the, one of the reasons I don't see it is because, again, like America's founded on Judeo-Christian values, and if there's no Christians to uphold those values, there's nothing left of America. Um, free speech, we see that disappearing like really fast. Censorship, we see that. The right to bear arms, you say, Pastor, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal, just real quick, ready? Regardless of what side of the issue you're on, just listen. If freedom of speech and the right to bear arms are gone, there is no more America as we know it. it they, they will absolutely totally disappear. They, they will. We'll be like what? We'll be like every other country out there. We'll be like Canada or Venezuela or Brazil or, you know what I'm saying? There, there's no difference now. So if you take all the Christians gone, there's absolutely no difference between us and any other nation. We're just the same as anybody uh, now because there, there's, and, and the Holy Spirit's gone. There's nothing holding back that spiritual darkness. How about this one? The implement, implementation of one world currency, a cashless society. Boy, we're seeing that nowadays, um, you know, and we're seeing the government controlling even our spending, the beginnings of it. How do you know, Pastor? Well, you can't walk into Costco unless you got a mask on. Hmm. <laughs> can't go into Menards and buy your two-by-fours unless you got a mask on. So there's, you could see the beginnings of, I'm not saying this is it, but you could see the beginnings of controlling our currency, right? You've got to conform to this or agree with this before you can spend money in our store. Interesting. It's just saying it's interesting. So uh, Revelation 13, verse 16 and verse 17. Well, look at verse 17. Uh, uh, well, no, look at verse 16, 13, verse 16, I'm sorry. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, this is the Antichrist, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, verse 17, and that no man might buy or sell unless he had the mark. You need to agree with us before you can buy or sell anything. All I'm saying is you could see the beginnings of a conditioning, okay? That you could just see it, right? How about this? Number seven, uh, wars, famines, and earthquakes. Number eight. A one-world government formed to bring order, which means what? It means there's going to be chaos and disorder. How about this, number nine, a one-world church. A one-world church that is based solely on a works-based salvation system. Why will it be based on a works-based salvation system? Because all the Christians are gone who believed it was by grace were saved. There is no more, no more talking about grace this is in the back closet now, right? There's no Holy Spirit. So there, we're not talking about grace. Well, those nutcases are gone. <laughs> so one world church. How about this? Number 10, a peace treaty with Israel will be broken. He'll make it and that will be broken. Number 11, the unleashing of supernatural demonic influence all over the world. Can I stop on that for 10 seconds? Ready? Real quick. Pastor Dan, what do you think? Can I, can I just ask this question? Have you noticed, and I don't, I don't, I really don't watch movies. I just don't, I just, I just, it's a waste of time to me, okay? But have you noticed all the movies and shows that are coming out that are just about the supernatural and demonism, demonic forces? They're dark. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? Is that one really bad? If you won't show it in church on Sunday morning, it's probably not good. Would that be a true statement? I mean, that'd be right to say, right? I mean, you know, you know oh, but it's just so dark witchcraft, sorcery, that kind of stuff. It's like the world's like so conditioned for it where they're just going to say, yeah, well, of course, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what we're expecting. Number 12, Antichrist, the Antichrist will slaughter 1.5 billion people, quarter of the population. Whew. How's he going to slaughter 1.5 billion people? I have no idea. Is it possible to slaughter 1.5 billion people today? Yeah, how hard is it? Eh. <laughs> 
nuclear bomb? I, probably. I mean, it wouldn't take much, church. Number 13, many Christians and Jews that are alive then, people that become a Christian, the church is gone, people still can get saved. People get saved, uh, the Jews will be there, will refuse the mark of the beast. They'll say, no, I don't want it. Number 14, cosmic and cataclysmic judgments poured out from God himself. God himself is going to bring earthquakes, He's going to bring hail, hailstones that are over 100 pounds, the Bible says, uh, water pollution so bad that there's nothing to drink. <laughs> Church, would I be worried about global warming right now? No. I, I, <laughs> like, there's bigger problems on the horizon, okay? I'd be worried about, like, global destruction. Um, that's what I would be worried about. And so do I believe in global warming? Yeah, because the Bible says that the sun's going to get hotter and it's going to scorch a huge population of the earth. And it's not because of global warming, it's because God in his almighty hand is going to say, all right, we're going to clean house. That's how he's going to do it, all right? Number 15, man will want to die. This is interesting. And God will not allow it. You can't, he said, unless the days are shortened, you'll wish you could have died. But I'm not going to allow it. You're, you're going to have to go through this. This is amazing. Revelation chapter 9, verse 6. So, so this is a foundation, guys. This is just a pathway, a road to Armageddon. We're on that road. We're on that pathway. There's nothing to do to stop it. I do not believe that America is going to become some utopia and the whole world's going to be just heaven here on earth. I, I'm all for taking care of our nation. I'm all for recycling. I'm all for, for, for being good to our neighbor. Absolutely, positively, of course. But ultimately, I know that Christ is coming back for his church and God has a plan of ultimate destruction and purging and cleansing of this world that Christians won't be part of. At the end of that will be the Battle of Armageddon. Now, the Battle of Armageddon is literally, literally, when people on earth literally, literally say, we're not fighting each other, we are fighting you. We are taking you down. It's a battle against Jesus himself. Is that bizarre? I mean, think about it. They're not going to say, oh, Russia, we're taking you out, or, you know, Israel, we're taking you out. They're going to say, everybody, point your guns up. I mean, what? how do you do that? But they are going to literally take it upon God himself and say, we are taking you out. That's the battle of Armageddon. Whoo! Okay, who's ready for next week? I am. <laughs> here's the, so here's the good news. The good news, bad news. The good news is this, that, that those of you that are Christians, you put your trust in what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. The good news is, is this. After the rapture of the church, you'll be in heaven. You'll be in heaven looking down, right? And then coming with Jesus, coming with Jesus to rule and reign after the battle of Armageddon for a thousand years, okay? That's the good news. The bad news, though, is if you've never trusted in Christ fully as your Savior, if you believe that you have to be a good person or you're going to get baptized or somehow you're going to earn your way to heaven, the bad news is that you won't be part of the rapture of the church. You you will be left here to endure hell on earth for seven years, okay? Many people are going to get saved during the tribulation, but I don't want to be part of that. I, I just, <laughs> I'm not going to wait. So the good news is that Christ loved us so much, right? It says, the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not your works, lest any man should boast. You, you can't get saved by being a good person. You get saved by trusting the fact that God loves me so much he sent his son to die for me. I accept that, God. I, I can't pay it, but I know that Jesus paid the debt for me, and God says you're forever part of my family. It's that simple. It's simple for us because Jesus did the work, okay? So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do that today. We're way past time. Thank you for your patience. It's going to be a cool study. 
All right, bring your pens, bring your Bible next week. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our study today. Wow, whoo, hot dog. We got a lot of things to talk about. It's, it's, it's so exciting. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know about their future, that today they would put their trust in what you did on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, and they'd know that they're saved, not by their goodness, not by their baptism, but by believing what Christ did on the cross. As for a blessing on them, Lord, as they trusted Christ even this morning right here in church. Thank you for all you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.